0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: And some people live in this place where they can make an excuse for everything. You need to be convinced of this, when you sin, you can never blame anybody else. If somebody walks up to me on the street and slaps me, right? That's bad, that would be bad. Now, after they get done slapping me, If I go sin in anger against them, when I get ready to deal with my sin, do I get to blame them? No. They slap me first though, right? God's like, yeah, they set you off, but you gave in to your flesh.
0: We have this habit of blaming others for the mistakes we make. We always make sure to assign responsibility to someone other than ourselves, whether it be at work or even in our personal lives. Pastor Bill shares in today's message how you can start to face your sins. Even if someone causes you to sin, you can ask God for forgiveness for your transgressions rather than holding that person accountable. And instead of blaming others, you can try to stay away from the shortcomings of your own body. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, as he continues his message, kill or be killed.
1: Look at verse 12 and 13. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, so after praying for him all night, Right. He got up to meet him and it was told Samuel saying Saul went to Carmel and get this. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. First of all, I want you to get this right. Saul didn't do everything God said do. But whatever little victory he did have, he got down the hill and said, I need a monument to myself. I want a monument. Y'all need to remember who I am up in here. And he made a monument to himself. Now, if you do it right, if the kings of Israel were doing it right, they were to be doing things for the glory of God. It wasn't really about them. It was a privileged position to be in. But I want you to note there's something flawed and broken that we're going to see as we go through the rest of the chapter with Saul, so I was about himself. Right. He didn't take a time to worship the Lord for the victory. He didn't even do everything God told him to do in the first place. But as soon as he got done, he said, man, I need people to recognize me. I need a monument. I need a monument to me so that people can remember that I'm an important dude. I'm a big guy. I'm a big deal. Be aware of needing people to see you as something and not being concerned for what God sees. Because this is what's broken in Saul right here. Saul is very concerned for how the people are going to see him. The rest of the chapter, he's going to be very concerned for how he looks to the people. But he has not been concerned with how, how you look to the Lord. The Lord saw that you didn't obey him. The Lord saw that you didn't kill all the animals. The Lord saw you held back Agag. And you're not concerned about that. However, you are concerned that people would see you in a certain way. It is one of these snares and these traps in this life. Is to be overly concerned with what people think about you, to care too much, to give too much credit to this one thing. You know, my dad and my, my parents weren't married. I only spent the weekends with my dad. But if I can say that there was something my dad instilled in me as a kid, my dad instilled in me. And I think all of us, are, so my siblings as well. But I was, I was always comfortable being me. Uh, my dad would tell me, he's like, you, you don't got to be the best at everything, bro. You, you're not going because you're not going to be the best. At everything, but uh, he would he would say like, but, but you could be the best, Bill Buffington. You know what I mean? Like you, you could be the best you that you can be. I was always very comfortable with who I was. If I wasn't the best at, I wasn't the best at football, but I had fun playing football where I played it at at my level. You know, where I, I would see other kids, they would cry if they didn't get the spot or if they didn't. It was like it was never that big a deal to me. I've always appreciated. Uh, however, he instilled those things. I know I've always been okay with just being me, who I am. Um, as I look at Saul, and I've seen there are people that have this character flaw where they're so concerned. They live for the, the applause of other people. They live for the acceptance of other people, for what other people think is so valuable. And I believe that that makes people, it puts people in a wrong place in your life. Um, what we want to do as believers is live in such a way where God, I, I really only care now about what you think. Um, not that I'm rude to people, not that I disrespect people. I, I'm careful with how I treat people, speak to them, whatnot. But I'm most concerned with, Lord, am I good with you? If we're good, then my life is great. If I walk out of my house and I'm good with God, I'm good. Right? I'm good. with It doesn't matter if I'm good with God and everybody else hates me, I'm good. But if everybody loves me and I'm not good with God, that's a fail. I need to be good with him. Amen? So be careful of worrying, being overly concerned about people. We want to have a singular concern. God, I care about you. Here's a cool thing. When I live to please him, God loves all the people around me, too. He's not going to have me be a jerk to people. You know, God's not going to be like, well, now that now you're good with me. And you've been (laughs) been a jerk to your neighbors and your friends and your family members. He's not going to have you behave like that. You know, so moving on. Saul is setting up monuments. And as he meets Saul, look at his spiritual talk. He says, oh, blessed are you of the Lord. And the first thing out of his mouth was a lie. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And so Samuel confronts him verses 14 and 15. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? So Samuel says, look, if you did everything God said, I hear sheep going bad. I hear oxen going, well, whatever the noise, I'm not going to do it. I, I, <laughs> the, whatever noise oxen make lowing. and uh, uh, somebody else got to get that one for me. But the animals are making all their noises. And so Samuel says, you couldn't have. Why do I hear all these animals if you say you did everything the Lord had commanded? And look at what Saul does. And I, we're going to. I hope that we're going to learn something from this. It says, and Saul said, they, right? That they, not me, not I, they. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. We saw this spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Here it gets spiritual to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, not my God, the Lord, your God. you to see that a few times. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So this is what's wrong with Saul in this moment. Right. Everybody here messed up before. Everybody has has sinned and done what you shouldn't do. Everybody. Right. We all have. And when you get busted, when you get called on the carpet, what you want to do is own it. Right. You know what you did. And so the best thing to do when you have messed up is confess and repent. When God calls you on your mess. And you get called on the carpet, and you're like, "Man, I'm busted! God, I, I did it. Confess and repent. You know, there's really nothing at that point. Now, this God, I'm at your mercy. I'm not, I'm not gonna even fool around. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna. I'm. I put my, I just put my hands. I put myself at your mercy. I did it. I messed up. I did this. Shouldn't have did it. I'm confessing, and I'm gonna repent of this, and I'm just gonna be at your mercy. That's the best place to be, you guys. God knows what you did anyway. He knows we're flawed. He knows our frames. The Bible says that we're just dust. And so we don't want to play games. You definitely don't want to get into this habit of blaming other people for why you didn't obey God. Because here's the problem with that. And this is what I've seen. I've seen this over the years. Right. If a person let's say somebody I've had friends of mine sin and get caught up in stuff or whatever. And you talk to one guy and he's like, bro, just vomit out. I did. I did. Blah, 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 blah. Just confess all of his junk pray for me. What else can we do but just pray for you and minister to you and try to build you back up, right? We're already two steps ahead, right? The Holy Spirit has got you. You're not comfortable in that sin, so you done told you drop dime on yourself. You confessed it, and now we're praying for you and building you up, but you take another guy did the exact same sin, and you say, bro, what's going on? It was her fault. It was their fault. We haven't even begun the process. We haven't confessed. We haven't repented. We, we're not at square one yet because you haven't owned your own sin, And some people live in this place where they can make an excuse for everything. You need to be convinced of this. When you sin, you can never blame anybody else. If somebody walks up to me on the street and slaps me, right, that's bad. That would be bad. Now, after they get done slapping me, if I go sin in anger against them, when I get ready to deal with my sin, do I get to blame them? No. They slap me first, though, right? God's like, yeah, they set you off. But you gave into your flesh. They slapped you. you. You had a right to be angry. But the Bible says be angry and don't what? Don't sin. Now, if my anger boils over to our sin. Now I'm, I'm responsible and I got to eat that. If I if I go beat somebody up because they slapped me, I got to say, God, you know what? I, I gave into my flesh. That's the truth. They slapped me. I got mad. I gave into my flesh and I did da. da, da, da. They're not in the equation. What I did. I sinned. I gave into my flesh. That's how we want to keep our relationship with the Lord right. And Not make excuses. Um, If you make excuses, know this, that you haven't even taken step one of getting right with the Lord. You haven't even begun yet. This is the thing. If somebody can excuse their sin, then you can't repent and excuse it at the same time. If I can excuse it, then I'm not repented of it. I'm still in my sin. I'm actually defending it. So you're still in your sin. If you can defend it, excuse it, you're still in it, which is not where we want to be. We want to be repenting of sin. Turn our back on sin, repenting of it, and coming back to the Lord. So, confess, confession, and repentance is what we want to do as believers. When you sin, because we do, confess and repent. Two verses: First John one nine, confess your trespasses, confess your sins to God, that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right, confess, and God will cleanse you. Proverbs twenty eight verse thirteen. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. He who covers his sins will not prosper, will not be blessed in what he does. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you hide it, God's like, I won't bless you in what you do. You're going to be in your sin. But if you confess it and forsake it, I'll have mercy. God will be merciful to you. And so this is what's wrong with what Saul does here. Some people have argued, right, as you look at Saul and you look at David, you think arguably David's sin is worse than Saul's sin by a large stretch, right? Saul keeps back some animals, doesn't kill Agag, doesn't obey God completely. David takes a man's wife, commits adultery with her, impregnates her, and sends her husband out to be murdered on the front lines. I would argue that David's crime and sin was worse, right? However, when David got confronted, Right. When Nathan came and he gave the whole little prophetic scenario to David and, and he, you know, he gave the scenario with the sheep and said, hey, there was a man who you know, took this neighbor's lamb. And, he, you know, he, he, it was one little lamb and this rich man took it and killed it. David said, kill that man. And Nathan said, you the man. And then David, Psalm 51, we read it. I think it was week in the reading against you and against you only have our sin done this great wickedness. And he repented and he owned it and he turned from it. He didn't do it again. And he was restored in his relationship with the Lord. The consequences came with the sin, but David turned from his sin. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't say, well, that woman shouldn't have been up on the roof like that. You know, there was no excuses given. He just said, man, against you and against you only. He owned it. That's how we want to be. That's the difference between King David and King Saul. You had one man that sinned greatly, but he repented genuinely and God received it. You have one man, another man that sinned greatly and never really owned up, never came clean, never owned up. And so, again, this is what he he does here. He blames the people. He says they brought them from Amalekite. The people spared the best of the sheep. And he said, and they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Um, The rest we have utterly destroyed. Look at this verse 16. I love this. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. This is a sanctified. Shut up. That's what that's. This is right here. This is a sanctified. This is Samuel saying, if you can take the Hebrew and make it in. He says, shut up with that mess you talking, man. He says, shut up. Be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. And so Saul told him, speak on verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes. Were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Note that. Samuel says, man, when you were little in your own eyes, when you, you were humble in the beginning, and when you were humble, when you were small in your own eyes, look what God did for you, man. Look at how he elevated you. Look at how he raised you up. Look at how God blessed you when you were little in your own eyes. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And I love this. Samuel is confront. This is what spiritual leaders do. And this is what good friends will do. He is confronting Saul, but it's very direct. He's not mincing words. He's saying, man, you know, I prayed for you all night. I don't hate you. Uh, He didn't tell. He didn't even tell Saul he prayed for him all night. But I know that he did. We know that he did. We read it. He said, look, man. When you were small in your own eyes, God blessed you. He raised you. I was there. You were a nobody and you knew it then. Now you out here running around making monuments and trying to be a big deal. When you were humble, when you were small in your own eyes, God bless you. We need to all remember that because we need to all remain small in our own eyes. You know how to remain small in your own eyes? Just Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the trick. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll always be small in your eyes. Because you'll all in comparison to him. We're all small. Amen. You get your eyes off the Lord. This is where you get a big head. We compare ourselves by ourselves. The Bible says you're not wise. Everybody here can find someone that you're doing better than. Amen. Yeah. If I was a D student, I could find an F student. And I'm like, look, look ah, you got an F. Ha. You know, I get elevated. We, we, we can all if we compare ourselves by other people. We can all find someone we can shine on. But if I let the measure be Jesus. I'm always going to be in a humbled position. I'm always not quite where I need to be. And I'm always a work in progress. And I'm always, you know, it'll it'll keep me where I need to be. Keep our eyes on the Lord. That's how we, God can use a man or a woman greatly whose eyes are on him. God can. There are men and women that God has used, I mean, majorly, significantly. They've done big, big, I mean, they've done big deals. They've done big things, but they're humble in their own eyes. They don't make a big deal of themselves. They keep it. They've kept Jesus where he belongs. And so, You know, he reminds Saul, man, when you were small in your own eyes, God anointed you king over Israel. Then he sent you on a mission and he says, man, why why didn't you do it? Why didn't you obey the Lord? Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? And he says, why did you swoop down on the spoil? Because that's what Saul really did. He kept some spoil. Right. This wasn't about sacrificing to the Lord. You kept some spoil for yourself. And then in verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed. The voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back King Agag of Amalek. That's that. You you didn't. Right. But he says, but I have obeyed the Lord and I brought back the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 20, um, 21. But the people took the plunder. Who's he blaming? The people took the plunder, sheep and oxen the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the lord your god and gilgal he blames the people I, if you notice this if anybody here watched basketball your better coaches right you're good coaches when they lose they never put their team down you know what the coach does it's on the, he takes it he takes it on the chin um, as the leader of the team he's got to get those guys in order they may have jacked up but he says you know what man i, I got to we got to do some better planning. We got to get our defense. We got to But the, the coach, the leader say he takes ownership for the losses and they go onto the locker room and they do what they got to do to get things moving again. That's not even spiritual. Right. That, that's not even a spiritual leader. That's just a that's as secular as it comes. But even they know, man, I'm, I'm going to take that on the chin. Saul, however, he, I want you to know this. God's giving him another opportunity. He could have broke now. He could have said, oh, man, I'm sorry, I messed up. He didn't. He says, but the people. And he says, I did do it. I did obey God. Right. And this is something we see through Saul's life is that he he tweaks. Right. God says, do this. And he does it his own way. And says, I did obey God in my own way. I want you to know you can't obey God in your own way. Right. You got to obey God his way. We'll find this today in, in a lot of ways. There'll be people who take God's word and they'll make adjustments. I've had couples over the years. They wanted to live like they were married, they weren't married yet. And so they're like, well, you know, technically, you know, technically, nah, bro, technically nothing. Right. If you live in with someone that you're not married to and y'all are having sex, it's called fornication. Right. There, there ain't no way to fix that up. Right. You either go, you get married or y'all stopping it. But you can't fix that. We can't make this OK with God. Well, you know, you know, I've heard the wildest stuff. You know, in the, you know but in the Bible days, you know, once you come together, you you are married. No, it's a legal document that needs to happen here. How you going to get a divorce from that kind of marriage you in, you know, you're in fornication. That's not a marriage. God is not honoring it. No not matter how long you do it. Well, you know, in the state of California, we live together for this many years. You, you, you consider marriage. that's the, the, the state of California. Don't got nothing to do with God. You need to go be married if that's what you're going to be. you be amazed at how many people are trying to, you know, shuck and jive and make adjustments. No, no, just say you're not going to obey God that you're going to do it your way. Your way will come with some consequences, though. It always consequences to doing things your way and not God's way. We can't adjust God's words. And so Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul is lying when he says, I did do it. He says, I did utterly destroy. You couldn't have because to utterly destroy means there would be nothing left. There would be absolutely nothing left. Now, before we move on from here, I want to give a bit of a just I want to give a lesson to us in that. Again, the Amalekites who were not utterly destroyed, like God said, they're a picture of the flesh. And everybody here, when you got saved, when you gave your life to the Lord, you brought with you some baggage in the flesh. Right. Every one of us is different. When I was in the world, uh, my flesh was given over to certain things. So I got that baggage with me. Uh, each one of us, whatever we were into, whatever we had given over to, whatever, whatever we had been trapped up in in our time, apart from God, we come to God in that flesh. And so there are areas where maybe I would be tempted that maybe you wouldn't. And areas where maybe you would be tempted, but I would not. Right. We all got our different little weaknesses and tendencies and whatnot. And so we come to God with all of that, our flesh. And now as a believer, God's like, no, the flesh is an enemy, but I live in it. I got the spirit of the living God in me that's moving me in a new direction and giving me new guidance, new direction. But I live in my old man, too. And the old man cries out for his old stuff. When I first got saved, I would tell you that the initial battle was women and then it was alcohol. Those two. I didn't think I could ever have a life apart from alcohol. I hadn't even the guy that led me to the Lord. I, I didn't even commit to not drinking again because If you would have asked me at that time, if if you if I had to commit to not drink to get saved, I would have just not committed. I would have not got saved because I could not have imagined a life. All I could think of is I'll try to cut back. I'll try to not to get that drunk anymore. You know, turn my 40 into a tall can, see if I can, you know, just simmer down a little bit or whatever. And this is the miracle that God does. It wasn't until I received Christ in me that. Now there began to be a desire and an, and an ability to let that go, but it was a real battle. I used to drive by liquor stores. I, you know, I go to the liquor store now with my kids and get candy and gum and chips and stuff like that. There was a time where I could not go to the liquor store. I would drive by, I remember driving down Crenshaw, and it's, a, you know, you have your stores you, you go to, and I would drive by, and I, St. Eyes was my 40. That was, I was a, every day I would have a few of those, and I would see the little crooked eye in the window, And I would have a physiological, my heart would race. I could like, my body was saying, you need to go get one. Um, There were multiple times where I actually went and got one. And by God's grace, I poured it out. I didn't, God gave me victory. There there was a fear of going back. Uh, Because I know that I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So if I drink, everything else is coming with the full package. And I was, I didn't want to let go of what God had done. But there were multiple times where I, I had purchased a drink and then I threw it away. But it was, it, when I say it was a real battle, it was a real tug of war. It was a real battle in the flesh that the spirit was saying this and the flesh was saying that. As time goes by, this is what I've learned, is that the power that the flesh had, the strength of that temptation has significantly lessened. I, can, I wouldn't say that I was never tempted, but it just doesn't have any power today. It doesn't have the kind of power it had then. Um, every once in a while maybe a fleeting thought or i may see a billboard you know around there's certain times of the year where you see things but never like it was way back then and so satan says okay we'll leave that alone i got some other stuff you're a whole mess so i got other stuff to, to work with you on and so he'll try another door you know another door and another door and that, that'll be for the rest of my life but i live in this enemy called the flesh an enemy will throw out you know temptations and he'll throw things out there the bible says that by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body that you may live it's it's uh and this is so this is so important for us everything you need to overcome everything you need to be victorious over the flesh has been as you already have it right now if you're a believer the spirit of the living god dwells in you and everything you need to defeat the flesh is there right now and if you yield to the spirit you have victory over the flesh And as you habitually yield to the Spirit, that'll become your new normal.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 1 Samuel, this book covers some interesting history in the Jewish nation of Israel. The book starts with a prophet declaring the first king of Israel, and the book ends with the death of this same king. Why did Israel desire to have a king so badly? Was it a case of, everyone else has one, so we should too? It seemed to have been a situation where the people wanted a person to rule and reign over them, rather than just trusting God to do the kingly duties. As we all know, humans have a tendency to fail and falter, and the first king of Israel was no stranger to this. King Saul started off well, but he didn't end well. Power, prestige, disobedience, and insecurity We're all part of his downfall. May these messages in the book of 1 Samuel be a good reminder and a lesson that no matter what man attempts to do, without God, things will surely crumble. If you'd like to hear this message again or listen to more messages from 1 Samuel, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call or text... 310-245-4811. 310-245-4811. Once more, that number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel, here on A Transforming Word.